As we begin this morning, we're going to be in the book of Mark this morning in chapter 5. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Anyone relate to that? Spend and spend and instead of getting better, you get worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they had come to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him, and he put them all out, and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her, give her something to eat. So as we, we begin this morning, when we look at this story from Mark's gospel in chapter 5, I want to talk a little bit about control. And not because it's Mother's Day, because I think we need to talk about control. Um, it, it does fit well, I think, with Mother's Day, because I know that moms and dads alike like to be in control. And I had a question, um, and you feel free to just comment and confess if you want in the chat box, but how many people like to have control? Just You can raise your hand in the chat box. You can give us a thumbs up. Um, you can say, I'm a control freak. Um, maybe some of you are saying that for the first time, and it feels so great to actually get that off your chest because you've been wanting to tell someone for a long time. My guess is for everyone else in the room, they already knew that about you. Um, but there is a sense with all of us, we like to have control. 
Some of you might classify yourself as a control freak. Others of you are okay when things are outside of your control, but I promise you, there are some things in your life that you feel like you need to have control of. What I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, what others think of me, whether it's my spouse or my kids or my friends or my coworkers, we like to control some things. And we feel like as long as they are, is, they are in our grasp, that everything can be okay. And I think what's so unprecedented about this time is across the board, it feels like for so many, control has been somewhat taken away for at least periods of time. There were things that we could and could not do and that we really had no say in. And it makes us, I think, frustrated. It scares us. It causes our anxiety to rise because really our entire life has been about the pursuit of control. I mean, you think about it from a time you were a baby in the crib, you were searching for that sense of control. Whether it was, I need something to eat and so I'm going to scream, I, I need someone to do something, to getting older and, and getting a little bit of freedom, maybe given your, your first phone as a, a high school student or a middle school student, and now you have a little bit of sense of freedom. Or when you got your driver's license, I remember for me that was such a big deal because I felt like then I could control where I was going to go and what I was going to do. But then I found my parents were still going to control that because they were going to tell me that I had to run to the grocery store because we needed more milk. And there was still that sense of, of balancing that control. Maybe it was your first job or going off to college and living on your own or buying your first vehicle or buying your first home. That all the time we're constantly searching and looking for more and more that we can control. Because the more control we have, the more secure we feel. We feel like we can move the pieces around where we want them and everything line up. I mean, after all, that is the American way. You make something of yourself. You grow up. You take matters into your own hands and you create the life, the world that you want. But I've noticed something as we've struggled through this loss of control. It feels like as long as we have control, our anxiety is low. But what I've been noticing is the less control we have, the more our anxiety rises. Because there's more uncertainty and there's more that we're unsure of. And the more we live, the longer we live, the more we acquire, it seems like the more control we have. And so as that control seems to diminish, our anxiety rises. My question for you this morning is what do you do when it seems like you've lost all control? You know, there's, there's a sense in right now in our society where we've lost a sense of control. Maybe some of it was legitimate control, but others, it might have just been perceived control. Things that we thought we had a handle on, things that we thought we could do something. But things start spiraling out of control. Maybe your marriage has been spiraling out of control. And this time has just accelerated that spiral. Maybe it's an addiction something that you've struggled with for years and tried to break free of and let go of. But the more it goes, the more difficult it gets to break free from. Maybe it's your finances. 
that you've watched that debt build and build and build, and there seems like there's nothing you can do to get out from underneath it. Maybe, and this is difficult, maybe it's your kids. You've watched spiral out of control. And for you, there's this hands-off moment. And I think what relates to me so well from this story is there are two people who come to Jesus under different circumstances, but one thing in common. It seems like they've lost all sense of control. You have this synagogue ruler who comes to Jesus and a man of, of prestige and power, although a synagogue ruler sounds really prominent, it probably wasn't too big of a deal. Because Jesus is in Calpurnium, um, kind of his home base, and there is a synagogue ruler, and the city um, of Calpurnium is probably about 1,500 people total at the time of Jesus. And so there are all these people in this community, and you have this one synagogue ruler, the synagogue leader. Think of it like this, small, small town America, a town of 1,500, where there's not enough for a church of Christ and a Baptist church and a Methodist church, and everyone just gets together and says, we're going to have just one church, and we're going to have this one preacher, pastor, person who's going to be kind of the leader. And, and it would be kind of like that, this, this one person who is kind of the central religious figure in the community. He comes to Jesus with this dire need. His daughter is dying, and he's gone past anything that he can do, right? And, and that's when it gets scary, when, when your kids are taken out of your hands or control of your kids is taken out of your hand. And it doesn't seem like there's anything that you can do, and for him, there's nothing else he can do. There's nothing the doctors can do, and so here's Jesus, and what's really interesting about this, it seems like most of the religious leaders of this time had problems with Jesus. They were frustrated with him because of what he was doing, because of what he was teaching. And yet Jarius comes to this point out of necessity where he says, okay, I'm going to go to Jesus and ask that he come and heal my daughter. He's at the point where control has been stripped away from him. And I love that Mark puts these two stories together. And Mark does just as Matthew and Luke do as well. These stories come packaged together. And I think both stories add to the other because you see the beauty building through the stories. The second is this woman who's lost all control for 12 years. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. And she's not been able to get better. And she spent all of her money. And I, I love the way the text says it. Instead of growing better, she grew worse. And, and I think some of you can probably relate to that statement. You've been through the treatments. You've been through the doctors. And you're not on your second opinion. You're on your fourth or fifth or sixth opinion. Trying to figure out what comes next. She's exhausted all of her resources, and it seems like control is gone. And she comes like Jarius to Jesus in desperation because she needs something. And I think what we find is that as our circumstances change, so does our perspective. As our circumstances change, so does the way that we see things. For Jarius, 
his circumstances have changed. His daughter is sick, and he doesn't have control. And so he comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, begging that Jesus would heal for this lady. She comes to Jesus because she's tried everything. She's been to all the doctors. She's tried all the treatments. She's done everything that she knew how to do. And her, like Jairus, comes to Jesus in desperation and throws, him, throws herself at his feet. Both of them, both of them that Jesus is going to enter into their story at moments of desperation. Well, having control taken away from you, I think might be a little bit easier for us to deal with at times than it is when we have to willingly give up control. Because to simply release something that we have control of is really difficult for us. When it's just taken, we are just left with, we have to process it and figure it out. But surrendering what we have control of can be one of the most difficult things that we have to do. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what amazes me is how willingly he surrendered control. Because the story of the gospel comes about because Jesus willingly surrendered control. He allowed himself to be that servant and become obedient to death. And so at the core of the gospel story is the story of death and resurrection. But Jesus willingly enters into death so that God can raise him from the dead. There's this willing surrender that Jesus enters his life into, empties himself of all that power and surrenders his life to God. And at the, store, the core of the gospel story is a story of death and resurrection. But I think what we see in this story, and is so, so important as we move forward, is resurrection will always saturate everything surrounding it. Resurrection does not keep to itself. It begins to saturate everything that it comes in contact with. And I think one of the beauties of the stories is a statement by Jesus that he makes in chapter 11 that I think fits so beautifully here into Mark's gospel story. Jesus, um, as he's interacting with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So what happens when resurrection enters the room? And I think we see a beautiful illustration in this story because you have this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's tried everything to get better, but instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. And at the very core of the story, just ceremonially, by the law, she is unclean. She's not supposed to be in close proximity to anyone else. And in fact, anyone who touches her would be made unclean. But the beauty of this story is she touches resurrection. Instead of her contaminating it and bringing uncleanness to Jesus, Jesus' cleanness, his purity, the resurrection saturates her. And immediately she is made 
clean. Immediately she is healed. Immediately she comes to life. And I think it's fascinating as Jesus encounters this woman and this woman touches her. He notices something has happened. One of the other stories says he noticed that power had gone out from him. And I, I think the wording here is similar in Mark, that, that something has gone out. How many people know that other people can drain you? Moms, how many people, how many of you know that your kids, your spouse can drain you? They can literally take life out of you. And I think it's so important that Jesus continually was going away to replenish himself, to pray, to be by himself and allow God to fill him up because people, people can be a drain on you. And at the end of the day, you're left thinking, oh, I've given all I had to give. And it feels like there's nothing left. Jesus, Jesus noticed that power had left him. He noticed that something had happened. This unclean woman was made clean because resurrection saturates everything surrounding it. And then in the second story, you have a little girl who is now dead. She's died. And in the context of the story, understand the pace of Jesus and the focus. He's walking with a crowd of people. He's not in a hurry so that he does not notice the woman grabbing at his cloak. He's walking at a pace where he can still do ministry even though he's on the way to help someone else. And then after Jairus gets word from the other people of the synagogue that his daughter has died, I'm, I'm sure over to the side they're whispering, hey, your daughter has died, don't bother the teacher. And in the midst of the commotion, in the midst of everything pressing around Jesus, Jesus overhears. He hears what they tell him. And he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. And they continue on to the house of Jairus. And when they arrive, the people are wailing and they're upset and they can, they're, they're mourning the loss of this little girl. And Jesus says, don't worry, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And then he goes inside. And there are very few places in the gospel that are left untranslated because for most part, the gospel would have taken place in Aramaic. But it's all translated into Greek. But when Jesus says, Abba, Father, it's left in the Aramaic. And here, the same, Talitha, Kum. And you wonder, well, why, why don't they just translate that as well? Why don't they make that into the Greek? But I, I would imagine because that image is burned so deeply in the heads of Peter, James, and John. If we were sitting in this room. And we listened to Jesus as he took her hand and he said, Talitha, kum, and grab, which is basically in, in our modern world, um, little girl, it's time to get up. And she gets up. And I imagine that this, this cements the story in their mind. And they can remember it just like it happened yesterday. There, there was this moment where all hope was lost and all control was gone. 
And Jesus takes her by the hand and she gets up. What do you do when control is gone? When it seems like you've lost your control? Because for Jairus, for this woman, they come to Jesus in desperation, needing a miracle, needing a wonder worker, and Jesus is there. You know, moms right now, I'm sure um, this has been hard on you. Um, I would say this time has been hard on all of us, having a sense of control taken away from us. But my guess is moms, more than most of us, are more exhausted, more frustrated, more stressed, and probably harder on yourselves than any of us realize. Because in one moment, you have not just become mom, you have become teacher and daycare worker and activity planner. And everything has been put on your shoulders. And I, I hope your husbands have helped you out, but for some, for single moms, it's all put on you. And it's difficult. For moms whose kids have, have seemingly walked away from their faith, you feel this desperation, this anxiety, because control seems to be gone. And as your control diminishes, your anxiety increases. And it makes it really difficult sometimes to function. I mean, being human is not the easiest thing in the world at times. And the people sometimes that mean to help the most can be a drain on us as well. And they can make it hard. But I want to say something to moms that's so, so important that you need to hear today. Your job is not to save your children. It is to love them. You're not the savior of your child. You are the lover of your child. That is your responsibility. Because you are not capable, no matter how much you want to be, of saving your children. You are completely incapable and it is completely outside the realm of your control. But you are capable, and it is your calling to love your kids. And you can do that better than anyone else. No matter where they are, no matter what they're going through, no matter how difficult times get, you are called to love your kids. And if you confuse your calling, you will end up failing at both. Because if you try to save them, most of the time it will relate into you trying to control them. And it will push further and further away. But if you will love them unconditionally, without question, with open arms, if you will embrace them, it will draw them closer to you. And one thing that I know from my mom, one of the things that I know from watching my wife, is we see God's love, I think, so beautifully displayed in our moms. 
who represent this selfless, self-sacrificing, godly spirit. And as you saw from the video, that is the thing that our kids noticed more than anything else. Is, is this self-sacrificial love. That there might not be things you can do to control them. There's nothing you can do to save them. But you can love them. And in loving them, you model the love of the one who can save. In loving them well, you model Jesus' love to them. And they see what God is like. Right now, you want control. I want control. And I think we find ourselves reaching to control more and more. And because there are so many things in our life right now that we can't control, I think people are overreaching to maybe control their spouse, spouses more than normal, or control their kids more than normal. Because when we can't control what is here, we try to control other people and other things. And so today, to moms, to dads, to everyone, maybe, maybe we need to slow down and take a deep breath and realize the control that we've always thought we had was never in our control anyway. And what we're needing right now is for the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life to walk into the room. And we need his resurrection to saturate everything surrounding it. Because people will drain you. Your kids will drain you. I can tell you there have been times when I've seen my wife, the most loving and caring person I can imagine, just say, I need people to stop touching me. I need my kids to stop crawling on me. And not because you're a bad person if you do that, but because people can drain us. People can take a lot out of us. But these people, both the woman and Jairus, they come to Jesus in desperation with all sense of control gone. And they say simply, Jesus, we need you. My guess is this morning there are some of you who are in that place. Maybe you're a mom and this last two months has been draining and it's been hard. And you've tried to control and you've realized you can't. And maybe this morning is just letting go and saying, God, I need you. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction and it's just spiraling out of control. And this morning is a morning that you say, God, I cannot do this any longer. I need you. I just need to touch the, the hem of your garment. I just need to touch your cloak. I just need you to take me by the hand. Or maybe it's your marriage that's been spiraling out of control. And you've lost all sense of hope that it would get better. And you've spent money on the counselors. 
and the therapy. And instead of getting better, it's gotten worse. Maybe you relate really well to this woman because you've been going through trials and you've been walking through many doctor's offices. And instead of getting better, you've gotten worse. And I would just say to you, there is still hope. And his name is Jesus. And he offers very sincerely and plainly, come to me. Come to me with the burdens that you feel. Come to me with the loss of control. I will be here. Not only will I love you, I will save you. I will reach down out of the pit and set you on solid ground. That, that is our hope. That the resurrection and the life would walk into the room and that the resurrection would saturate everything that surrounds it.